So I guess, you know, who, who, who wants to talk about their practice and, you know, or they have any questions and we can see what we can do about answering questions, but. I'll go since um, I'm already chatty already. Um, I think last week what uh, I was talking about, I really was having a lot of uh, desire to get off the cushion early. Um, it didn't go away 100% this past week, although I was able to get to my one hour goal at least one day. Um, I did notice one day that I, I was sitting and I, I think I only remembered I was mind wandering so much automatically. I didn't even know I was. And then I remembered only two times that aha moment, only twice in like almost a one hour sitting. So, uh, and I was disappointed and I had to really be honest with myself about expectations because um, why was I getting disappointed after? So, okay, so yeah, it's not great to feel like you're in stage one where you're mind wandering so much you didn't even know you were meditating for 99% of the time you were there. But I had to assess why I was not liking that and I, and I had to see like where what was the craving behind that? And uh, I was really trying to think, okay, so it was like thinking about something from work, like a client turning down a proposal or something like that. And uh, I had to assess, okay, where was, what was I feeling when I got to the aha moment? And I said, okay, well, I've just been thinking about this nonstop. I'm going to get up for the question now because this is not meditation. Um, and it was, it was, just, I don't want to think about this anymore. That was the, the craving. The desire was, I want this to stop. I don't want to think about this now. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, I wouldn't call it a huge breakthrough because it's, it's no, but I, I, I was kind of denying myself. I said, oh, I wasn't really having any expectations. I wasn't really having an idea of what the meditation should be, but I kind of was, and I was kind of wanting it to be something when, uh, instead of just, instead of pure observation. So, yeah, that's, that's been my week. Cool. You know, um, I almost think that there's almost something misleading about uh, meditation and what people think meditation will do. Like, in some ways, um, you, you start meditating, it seems like you're almost always wanting to control the mind. And there is some element that you you have more facility like with meditation with doing that but then there's also the element of um you know you never fully control your mind and and you learn to sort of kind of drop some expectations <laughs> and and you know because like you never know what the hell the next thought is 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 going to be necessarily right so i don't know i just think that's that's something that um there's always that play and then and it's a balancing act of of um you know to it's kind of like maybe it's like doing nothing in your practice and wait is you know am i doing some type of beneficial training or am i not right and so I, that's i think that's the question but it's it's there's not always a um a clear answer and of course the answer to that 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 question depends on where you're at and what's important to you and yeah yeah i think the part that that gets frustrated is is 
Okay, so it's been 45 minutes. I only remembered twice that I was, like I only came out of the fog of mind wandering two times. And then I get into my head, this isn't beneficial because I was just thinking about this one problem over and over again without going anywhere. But um, yeah, I guess that's part of the process. Uh, it just might be, but not necessarily staying in that place, but uh, staying on the cushion the whole time, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's, there's a little aha moment in that too, right? Even the, the fact that you're realizing, oh yeah, um, I'm thinking about this again and this, this train of thoughts not going anywhere. So there's, there's a little aha moment in that. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's, um, just the fact that I could, uh, eventually kind of dig deeper and find out what the craving was that there is resistance, um, is a benefit for me. Definitely. One thing that helps me in, in these kinds of thoughts is, uh, to remember that there is actually no not well done meditation. If you do it, it's well done. The only meditation that wasn't good is the one that you didn't do. So just keep doing it. And if you stay to the end, all the better. And yeah, sometimes it's just hard and you, you're stuck in thoughts and it happens. And yeah, of course, we would prefer that not to happen that much because it kind of is a sign of progress. But on the other hand, things happen and just accepting that they happen, including that mind wandering happens, is part of the path, right? Yeah, I, I know that on an intellectual level. <laughs> and then when <laughs> I'm there doing it, it's somehow the there's a there's an argument. Sometimes the, the other side can kind of convince me, convince me otherwise. The, the thought that comes up for me, Michael, is if you hadn't sat down in the first place and just mind wandered for the hour, like in normal life, you wouldn't have had any aha moments at all. Yeah, that's a good point. So even, even two in an hour is better than zero. I think there's a, there's a lot of value in seeing, um, seeing your mind interact with uh, kind of like some agitation that arises when you notice circumstance. Um, just seeing that dynamic play out and seeing your reactions to it uh, and how kind of like your intellectual knowledge uh, like comes up when you're actually interacting with this in the moment, like that alone also has some value to it. That's, that's how I try to frame my sits that seem unproductive according to whatever scale I'm, I'm trying to measure them by. Uh, I try to see how, uh, how my dissatisfaction with that arises and how I, how I deal with it. And I find that a useful perspective to take it. Yeah, I think that might be even a better uh, goal. And oh, okay, goal is to be as mindful as possible. But rather, the goal is see what what happens with my mind with dissatisfaction and agitation that will that will happen. This it. And if you're too agitated, you can also do do nothing practice. Um, just switch to that. I've done a, a little bit of that um, based on the video that I watched with um, Shinzen. How long 
would you suggest if you switch to that? Was it like 10, 15 minutes or just until things get calmer? That's a good question. Um, I think when things, uh, till, till things calm down a bit, um, I would just suggest that. I wouldn't necessarily do a time, but uh, yeah. Actually, I would uh, go another route. Uh, I would really say if I start a sit with do nothing, I do the complete sit, do nothing, or the other way around, if I do a sit with the intention to concentrate on the breath, for example, then I'll do that until the end of the sit and don't change plans in the middle. Well, one thing that um, I think there's definite value to, yeah, there, the different, you know, these, these different perspectives. One thing I want to say about the um, uh, adding in there is an addition to think about is just if you find yourself getting like super overwhelmed, because I mean, you know, it, it can be super agitating, you know, those feelings coming up. Um, and you start, you know, for example, say you, you find yourself getting really anxious right and or just like just being in your skin irritable and um sometimes it could be beneficial it could be skillful to to switch to practice and you know for some people like a do nothing that could help um the one thing i'll say of course about do nothing like i said that could be that could help someone ground and sort of calm down Con conceivably of course that could you know that could not work too right so yeah you there's uh you kind of have to, to judge these things and know, know what, what you're at. But I just definitely wanted to throw that in sort of to the discussion about, you know, being aware of like, if it is, if it, if it did get to be so um, agitating, right. It could be in that case, I, I would, you know, I would think like um, it could be beneficial to, to switch practices, but. Yeah, I think the switching practices for me, at least it's more of a problem of, not not being distracted by the switching so uh, whenever a thought comes up i try not to be distracted by that thought and sometimes that thought is well i should switch practice and i should do something else because this isn't working and sometimes i just go too fast for another practice and one thing that i, I try personally to do is okay this doesn't seem to be working. I will set an imaginary timer for three minutes. If in three minutes it doesn't, it doesn't improve, then I will switch my practice to something else. To, I defend what, what I'm going to do because that way I, I feel that like it's not I'm, get, I'm getting carried on by the thought, but I'm intentionally changing my practice and that way I, I can at least avoid switching from one thing to the other at, at any time. And another another thing, Michael, is that uh, I have coincidentally having the same issue you have this week. And I noticed that I usually think with distractions I don't want to be thinking about that right now. I want to be meditating, but on some level, I want to be thinking about that because otherwise I wouldn't be. So it's like I'm trying to, I don't know, to, to integrate two parts. One of them wants to 
sit and meditate, and one of them wants to be thinking about that. And if I try to struggle with the other part, it only gets worse. So I try to, I don't know, I try to make amends, okay? I know this is important. I know I want to be thinking about that, but can we just take a break and, and meditate for a while? Then I will go back to that. And sometimes that helps, sometimes it doesn't, but yeah, it's something I, I'm trying to do. Uh, yeah, this intention to stay actively with the uh, distraction, that, that's something that uh, also I have um, noticed uh, in the past. And it's, it's basically the, this is exactly the moment where, uh, where the let go in the, in the common sentence can work. Because let go isn't pushing away, etc. It's stopping to keep it alive. And, and this is the exact moment when, when you notice that you are actively keeping it alive, let go of the intention to keep it alive. That, that's all that is needed to get rid of a uh, distraction. And uh, shortly to the point before, um, I agree that if a sit is getting really hard and distressing in some way, be it physical or mental, then it's okay to change things from posture to practice to completely stopping for the day. That, uh, that is uh, the exception to what I said before. I completely agree. If things are getting hard, do stop. But if things are not really getting hard, then I don't think you should change practices mid-sit. Yeah, you have to, to, to know if you're just, I don't know, you're just being carried on by, oh, this is too hard, or if it is something that you should really thinking about changing. It's, it's only possible during the session. And, and that changes also between sessions. Sometimes during one session, you know, you, you can go and to, you, you can push through it. And in some sessions, you say, oh, okay, it's better if I change it or anything else. Yeah, and I, I agree very much with, with, with everyone that it, it, like this practice does require like almost like a very gentle pushing forward and you, you need like a gentle pushing forward. Otherwise you wouldn't train the mind, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't have gotten anywhere, right? But it is the thing to, you know, when the pushing, of course, to not be pushing too far too fast, right? But, but yeah, I, I agree. And one thing I noticed uh, Tom, his, his uh, hands raised. I don't know if he has something to say. Yeah, I just wanted to call attention to Mert's uh, comment in the chat. How can I deal with uh, the same gross distractive thought pattern arising obsessively that is just remorse and regret during the day? And it sounded like you were kind of addressing that, Garyon. And with that, um, I was wondering if uh, Mert is able to, 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 to talk a little bit, to say a little bit more about where that question is coming from. Um, because I, I think a little bit more information might help us to uh, have something, you know, to, to with our, have our response be directed to it. Otherwise, it, it might be a little, it could easily be off base. Do you know how to unmute yourself, Mert? I've got a, an icon down in the lower left corner that shows mute. And when there's a line across it, 
I can't talk. And when I click on it, then it, the line goes away and I can talk. Um, okay. Well, I mean, if so, uh, okay. Well, okay. So that, I mean, one, my, my main thought is just that because it's, um, would just be thinking at, at the, the question most generally, um, you know, like, and it'd be the same thing as if it came up in a sit. Um, and it's, you know, what is it? Mindfulness. It's like the optimal balance between attention and awareness you know, kind of knowing what your general intention is, um, you know, if, if, if you're working and stuff and it's really not relevant to what you're doing and it's, you know, very dis dis distracting, just kind of gently bring it back to what you, you know, what's relevant and important to the moment. But yeah, that's what comes to my mind. Well, basically in daily life, the same thing applies with the let it come, let it be, let it go. When you notice that it is there, don't immediately fight back. Notice how you keep it actively alive and try to stop actively keeping it alive. And that can help if you train that also in the daily life, not just on the cushion. Yeah, and Gilbert's point on being uh, not the pushing being what the word you use, Gilbert, not uh, no. Well, just it's like gentle pushing. Yeah, gentle or, pushing. It's like persistent yeah. effort, but it's it's you know they call it what is it? Gentle diligence. There's different ways people talk about it, but yeah. there is some you know there is some kind of pushing. But again, it's it's not strong at all. But it's just yeah. the most important thing about it's it's consistent. You know, yeah. it, it could be very gentle, but it's just consistent. And a lot, yeah. that's that's a very good way to train yourself in anything. And Gideon's point of staying with it, with with the, the rumination or the thought or anything that com comes up. And actually, I, I think that if you stay with it for long enough, you, st you start to, first you start to, to catch it earlier but also you start to understand it better why it's coming up and sometimes just the, the, the realization that, oh, this is why I'm having this rumination, that sometimes can be enough to, to dial it down. For me, daily life, uh, negative thinking, um, I think the Mindfulness review has helped a lot. So I, I would ask Mert if you are doing the mindfulness review every day. Um, and if, if not, I would try to do that. And that will help for um, kind of noticing where you've been the day before or whenever you do it. And then on the next time, maybe seeing when that's coming and then eventually being able to uh, deal with it in the moment. I'd also say exercise helps. Um, it's something is, yeah, just moving the body. Um, we, our bodies like require some like m basic level of movement, which it's easily easy for us not to get. 
And it just makes, you know, makes us a little bit more out of whack. And just they, having that movement kind of helps to, um, you know, smooth things out. Well, it, it sounds like you're pointing at that, like the issues are very deep seated. Um, and so, and when you have deep seated issues, it's just, it's going to take, I mean, there, there are deep reasons why it's there. And so it's going to take a lot of work kind of over time, slowly kind of unwinding it. Um, you know, I mean, therapy and, and just trying to as uh, using as many tools as possible right to to work on these things is is going to be helpful so i mean i wouldn't um especially you're saying you know sort of addicted or it's come come obsessive right those are that that's that's saying it's yeah no it's it's really really deep um and so i mean everything that people suggested i i highly agree with and um that is all part of the solution but it's just applying all of it consistently over time One thing uh, maybe that might be helpful as well is, um, well, loving kindness meditation, which I'm very new at, but also I was listening to some forgiveness meditations. Uh, it was Bonte Villamaranzi. Um, I was looking at his loving kindness and then I found he has a guided forgiveness meditation which was recommended in cases where you, the loving kindness was still kind of too difficult to do. So, yeah. So you started forgiveness and then, then it's, you know, well, maybe, maybe that's opening something up. I'm not sure when I first started loving kindness, I was finding out I was very irritated right after doing that <laughs> surprisingly so much more than previously so if you're just starting it's possible it could be opening some things up i've had that kind of uh, obsessive rumination at times after I've had a conflict with a family member. And I agree that can be really difficult to let go of. But I see in the chat you're saying that it seems to be connected to your uh, working with the forgiveness meditation. So I hope you get a handle on it. I've got a question that relates a little bit to the, the whole theme of uh, reframing expectations during meditation, but we've recently got a puppy in the family and it's, it's created a lot of external stimuli um, in the home. And I live in a, a fairly old home where there's not a lot of, uh, you know, 
doors separating rooms and it's gotten a little bit more of a live environment, you know, uh, with noise. And so, you know, one, so I think that noise is a little bit of an opportunity. It's a bit of a distraction, but it can also be an opportunity. And so I've been trying to just uh, note distractions and, and continue with the meditation, which is, which is going okay. But are there any specific techniques in making use of a lot of external distractions? You know, is there anything I can do that's potentially a different technique to make use of that? Or is it best to just continue to try to just uh, note distractions and continue continue on with meditation on the breath? Well, one option is to uh, to basically say this distraction is so predominant that I take this distraction as the new meditation object instead of the breath. I've heard about that, and I've I've tried it when there's kind of a persistent noise or something like that. But I'll I'll try it again. This is more like choppy noises, barks, you know, children noises. So it's a little bit more uh, come and go. But I'll give it a try. Yeah, I know what you mean. That makes it harder. Yep. I mean, one thought comes up is like that could be a, a, a good time to practice the Brahma Viharas you know, or the loving kindness or, you know, equanimity, equanimity, sympathetic joy, compassion. Well, because you're getting those kind of constant reminders. Of, for myself, like, compassion you know, for myself, right? <laughs> for yeah. sure. That could be, you know, yeah. anyone, someone. Yeah. But like, and, and it's clear that there's, that there's some irritation that's coming up, right? Because yeah. that's what it sounds like. Um, and so that's, it could be almost natural actually to, I was like, oh, okay, there's some irritation. So let me, you know, try to, to tap into that, uh, you know, loving kindness. So it's at least working with the irritation, at least the part of the irritation that's just not helpful. Right. Yep. Yep. Good, good suggestion. Well, the more, the more you do it, the more it'll help you to be more equanimous, like with it just in general, like at, at another part in your sit. So you won't have to like, um, even switch practices. You can keep going with your, um, you know, your breath practice. Uh, and another small thing to maybe make you see it in a more positive light. If you're going to the gym, training with heavier weights is harder, but it also helps more. Agreed. Yeah, it's a good opportunity to build skills, right? It's yeah. Thanks. One one thing I sometimes do as well when there's a lot of like noise, distraction, stuff like that, is to try to identify, just kind of from a technical point of view, all the different constituents of that experience. Like if I hear somebody talking, like do I hear the sounds of the voice? without hearing the thing that I think they're saying? And can I separate the sounds of the voice from the idea of the things they're saying from the reaction I'm having to it? You know, maybe they say something. And so it's like, if I dial in, like I can identify like there's three or four different things going on at the same time and some of them cause other things to happen. And then just kind of observing 
that whole dynamic, that whole interplay is can be interesting. That's kind of what I was going for. I think that's uh, that's an interesting idea. I mean, sometimes I've noticed when I when I hear an, a noise or something, I can sense like um, you know a contraction in the body or other things going on, and so maybe looking for some of those things could be a good good practice as well, and, and separating them out a little bit, like you said. Yeah, that's great. One thing I, I used to have much, much more major issues with noises than I do now. It's not perfect now, far from it, but it's gotten better. Um, a couple things that I try to keep in mind. Um, I think it was Ajahn, Ajahn Chan who said, uh, the noises don't disturb you, you disturb the noises, or the sounds don't disturb you, you disturb the sounds. So what he was talking about was the part that makes it noise instead of just sound is what's coming from inside rather than out there if it's what you're putting on top of it um and another thing is i was i also struggle with dullness so if i hear a infrequent somewhat loud sound uh once in a while or not super frequently just so it's not repetitive uh i sometimes i'm even thankful for that because i can measure my dullness using that if i'm startled you know, the, the subtle uh, startling reaction is, is means that some dullness has been present there. So I'm like, oh, great. Thanks, large dog barking somewhere outside. That, that's that been very helpful for me. You can, you can go a little bit more. <laughs> You'll be fine. If nothing else, it gives you an indication of what your peripheral awareness is doing, if it's collapsed or not. Um, David asked about informal practice uh, a little while ago in the chat. I wonder if we might want to talk about that. He said, do any of you do a do any of you practice a noting technique throughout your day? I'm trying to accelerate my progress through stage two. Not sure if that's the right mindset, but I still experience a lot of mind wandering. When I was in the stage two and three, I labeled thoughts throughout the day pretty much nonstop. And uh, I found a lot of use from it. I've <clears throat> also read and heard that other people have had a lot of benefit when dealing with mind wandering. Uh, and also gross distractions in stage four. Um, they found a lot of use from just doing this consistent labeling of thoughts throughout the day. Is that just thinking or actually categorizing the thought? I had a, I probably had like six or seven categories. I don't think it matters too much whether you use just thinking or uh, more categories. Uh, that's kind of the conclusion I came to having done it for a while. Um, the goal is just to, to train this introspective awareness that identifies that thought is occurring and train it to execute faster. That's the effect it had for me, at least. One thing that I almost find interesting, the, the, uh, sometimes we use that word informal practice, but it, it, it's in some ways it's almost like, you know, it's kind of formal too, right? Like, um, at least how I think about it, like if you're practicing something you're practicing something even if you know even if you're not uh sitting down or something right but like and even just in order like to, to label right that that time that you're doing is is a type of formal practice 
on the cushion and off the cushion. David, did you have any follow-up questions? Or if, if you did, I, I would highly encourage you to just get on, get on the mic or ask again, but or ask you know ask, ask through chat. But any any other uh, people want to talk about their their practice, uh, challenges, successes, or even just uh, something they want to discuss? Just one more thing about David's oh. question. He just uh, communicated to me privately. He's not in a private environment, so that's why he's not unmuting. Uh, I'd like to talk about what's been going on in my practice, but uh, I'm wondering if Sam is around because Sam actually knows a bit about this and I was hoping to get his opinion in addition to everybody else's. Sam, are you alive right now? Um, yeah, I'm not. Can you guys hear me like, okay? Yeah, I can make out what you're saying, yeah. Is, is it still distorted? Uh, less so, much less so. I think it's good. Okay, yeah. I mean, I've been listening in. Um, I've just been okay so what i wanted to talk about was um my sits always go the same way for the last probably three four weeks which is um i do some body scanning and so i start with meta uh, then i do i do 15 minutes of meta and then 45 of tmi uh, and i'm talking here about the tmi bit so i Typically do some stage four for five to 10 minutes and then I do a body scan or a partial body scan returning to the nose um, Maybe finish the body scan depending on how how long I ended up sp spending at the nose um, But while I'm doing this uh, awareness, I think I talked about this before here. I can't remember Awareness just continues to get brighter and brighter as I do this until it's basically overwhelmingly bright and the object of attention is overwhelmingly small um, and eventually I just sort of abandon the object. Like, it seems like the object has become so small or so uninteresting that it's, there's no, like I have the intention to follow it, but it's like my mind doesn't care about following it compared to the other things that are there. Um, it, it, that feels different than just having a distraction that immediately captures attention. So I end up, I end up doing this. I end up just kind of sitting in this space of awareness where attention seems to be nowhere. Um, and I, I end up doing this for long periods of time in my sits now. And pretty much every sit ends with like 20 minutes, 10 minutes of this happening. Um, so I've been doing this for a long time, long enough to kind of get a sense for what's going on in this state. Um, attention eventually does come back and I start to do something like kind of an open awareness practice. Um, but with all the objects just so damn bright that they, they almost like hurt, like my skin hurts everywhere, almost. Um, and the thing that's really missing is uh, discursive thought is just gone the whole time. Like for like 10, 20 minute stretches in a row, there's zero thoughts at, at all. There's just the ones that I, I kind of intentionally put in there. I, I've been sitting in this state consistently and for long enough that I'm not sure if it's like, I feel like I'm doing nothing in this state. Uh, I'm just sort of abiding in this peaceful, calm brightness, uh, which feels nice. And I, at the time, I have a lot of equanimity about state or, or sitting or not sitting. I don't feel too compelled to stop sitting or to not sit longer. Sometimes I just sit 20 minutes longer because of any particular reason to get up. Um, but it's starting to be kind of um, mundane and repetitive. 
that I'm not, I feel like I'm not training any skills when I'm doing this. Uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not executing any intentions at all. I'm not following any instructions, which is actually, feels great to do that. But uh, I'm not convinced that it's a useful use of my time. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Uh, I'll, I'll say something, and then from Sam, I'm, you know, I'll go take it home, or you know. So the first thing I'll say is uh, in a very cool Zen teacher was saying, you know, uh, Zen. And he's talking about meditation, really. It's like a, it's a, it's a good for nothing practice, you know. It's like, and and that's like literally, like in some ways, like it's like it's good for nothing. Like it's not, you know, you're you're not learning how to to. Uh, you're, you're basically focusing on being right and the, the and getting better at being able to just be and of course the thing is it, you know we often have fears about oh yeah if I don't do anything bad stuff will happen oh, you know just bad stuff you know I, I can't just be and, and or even that like that'll make me less effective at doing but luckily I mean that's actually not the case you become so much more effective because you don't have you know you learn, you, you know when you're able to rest and you're, you're able, you're more comfortable at resting. And then when the time comes for, you know, movement or energy or to doing uh, action, you just have more uh, uh, action available. So, so yeah, but I mean, to me, it just sounds like you're, uh, yeah, you're, everything you're talking about, you got, you're getting really deep in your practice and like a really, you know, beautiful place, but there's, you have reservations, right? You're like, wait a minute, this is, I mean, it's nice kind of, but part of, part of your mind is not on board with it. It's like, um, you know, this, this is not good for any, what is this good for? And, and I, you know, I, I'm not training any actionable skills. So, so yeah, I wanted to throw that in there. And, um, and also it just sounds like you're, you know, just, you're, you're in terms of like the progress of insight, you would say like equanimity, right? the stage of equanimity and it just to me it's like just uh you're right at the stage just like completely letting go and then you know uh having pure conscious uh consciousness of a pure consciousness object or however you sort of describe it and sort of that whole stream entry uh deal so anyway those are some thoughts that came to my mind and i'm yeah i um i sort of identified this as equanimity too and uh i talked to sam about it before and uh that's sort of what he told me also. I guess, um, I guess my only reservation is pretty much what you said, that I, uh, I have some attachment to doing something, to being uh, gung-ho about some instruction. Um, the TMI training runs deep, I guess. Um, so I can add, I mean, there is a practice in stage eight where you basically do choiceless attention, uh, which is, sounds like it's pretty well suited for um, what you're experiencing. Um, so have you looked at that practice? Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with what that is. I, I read that section in the stage eight. And, uh, that's more or less what the state becomes eventually, this kind of very casual, very slow version of choiceless awareness uh, or choiceless attention. I just sort of switch between objects. I'm not really compelled by any one object. I 
in the past, I've also done this intentionally, this sort of choiceless attention practice, where I switched much more rapidly and intentionally between objects. When I do it now, it feels more natural um, and sort of organic. It's good. Yeah, I guess my only reservation now that I, I've, I've said all that is that I felt like I, I wasn't uh, oriented enough in this state. And I guess that the state just sort of it feels like it's always available in my sits. Like I could just start the sits in that state as well uh, and sit there the whole time. And it's not clear whether I should do that. Like I kind of have this idea that I'm using up a lot of my sit to do this because I, I thought of it as maybe not productive. Maybe Are I should. Any kind of uh, like unification like things going on while this is happening? Um. So what do you mean? Like an example of what? I mean. uh, you know, like energy sensations or uh, PT pleasant uh, sensations, vibration sensations, stuff like that. Um, not really. So I have PT in the rest of my sits, like lead up to this pretty regularly, especially when I'm doing meta. There's sort of endless waves of PT. When I get into the state, um, the only physical sensations I feel. I feel pretty much everything that I think is there to be felt, um, but it all feels not pleasant. It feels slightly unpleasant, uh, not in a distracting way or, or a way that at the time I don't care. I just identify it as like, oh, this is clearly like, unpleasant. And that's sort of universal. There's definitely nothing as energetic going on as PT at all. It's like the opposite of that state. The opposite of the feeling of PT, whatever that is, this sort of intense calm slightly unpleasant, that's the state. Um, one thing that you maybe can experiment with is, uh, as you said, you're unsure how much of a sit to do that. Maybe just take the intention to, for one sit, sometime to completely do a sit only with this state. Yeah, I might as well try that. You're right, I've never tried that. So I think uh, this is this is kind of one of those times where uh, there's a clear uh, direction that your practice is going in, and you want to kind of go with the flow. Um, there's always going to be time to come back, and if your practice is heading in the direction, then you can always come back and train stable attention on one object. But uh, there's a certain degree of following what your mind's natural inclination seems to be doing, um, that it has to be followed at times. And I think it's fruitful to keep uh, allowing this state to happen uh, because it sounds like there's clarity of, uh, it sounds like there's clear comprehension. Uh, it sounds like there's mindfulness. Uh, it sounds like there's anonymity. Um, it sounds like there's a lot of factors of enlightenment occurring in this state and there seems to be just a little bit of uh, apprehension. Um, there's going to be plenty of time to go back and I think it's, I would recommend um, stream entry over uh, getting to stage 10. Uh, if I had to choose one thing to do uh, right away, it would be uh, probably stream entry. And According to those progress of insight maps, I think most people would tell you that this is definitely 
anonymity knowledge. And um, you never know when it's going to happen. Uh, it might happen with a event, or um, it might not. But that's the insight knowledge where the the uh, cessation will occur from. And I think you never know when it's going to happen. Um, yeah, it may happen. Um, all you can do is kind of just be open to letting it happen. Um, so I would encourage you that this is this is still this sounds like a good thing. Um, you told me that before. It just kept going on and on, and I wasn't sure if it was still a good thing. Yeah, I mean it's weird. It's like. Um, you kind of have to give up this notion that you're in control and you're you're as a separate being heading from point A to point B. Um, even if you temporarily give up that notion, um, that seems to be what's required for um, awakening to happen. Because in my case, it was definitely a it felt a little grace. It wasn't something that I did. It was something that happened to me. Um, and with the uh, with the mindset that you can, uh, that you're just going to let things happen, that's kind of where you want to be headed, I think. Um, I can't say much more than that, but... Um, You've got a lot of time, and if it really, you know, give it a couple months, and if it doesn't seem like this is going anywhere, then maybe you could reevaluate then. But um, I would be patient. Okay. I'll be patient. Thanks, everybody. Well, um, Jolt, I mean, it's like the, you know, sort of dropping the, the fetter of personality to belief, right? Those first three fetters that happen at stream entry. Um, you, it's, uh, I mean, it's a big, it's a big effing deal, right? Um, and it's something that's been present in the mind uh, throughout as far back as you can remember, right? Whenever you've thought about it or looked or something, it's been there. And what happens is, of course, at, you know, stream entry, you know, is there's some recognition of it dropping in the sense and then it's like oh wow you have an experience where it wasn't there and something that you never could have known what it would have been like um beforehand and, and you know it's and it's a sense of of just of absence right and of course as you you know you go you continue on you know you, you things normal out in a sense and but um yeah you're sort of like your entire life has been oriented around these things oriented around when you're doing something, it's always, you know, I in relation to me doing this thing. And it's a thing, very like object type things. Um, and with awakening, all this stuff just kind of dissolves. And it's like, wait a minute, this model, there's a problem with this model, right? It's not just these, it's what I had of the, the ideas I had of it were almost like cartoon versions of, of reality. You kind of, you see some of that, right? And you see, 
how even your thought of yourself was a little bit like a cartoon version, right? Two-dimensional in a sense. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention is sort of this whole uh, craving, right? I mean, as you're getting to equanimity, right? And that's uh, craving sort of diminishes and there has to be, there has to be some of that, right? Some for, um, in order for you to sort of step outside of this process, right? But as you're getting sort of closer to that territory, the diminishment of, of, of craving, where you're just more and more just being, um, it's unfamiliar territory, right? I mean, your entire life, yeah, you've always been reaching after something or pushing away, always to get something, right? Always to try to, yeah, always to try to get something. Um, and, but, they, but yeah, but that's foreign territory. And it's because it's foreign territory, it's like, wait a minute, am I doing something wrong? You know, there's just, there's unease, right? Um, and there is just sometimes that of like, oh my God, what, you know, what happens if I completely let go? You know, if I completely give up craving, you know, you know bad stuff will happen or, or if, you know, just completely relax, um, you know, yeah, because that is, it, it's, it's kind of in some sense through, through that gate of, um, I guess maybe there are other gates, but like, I mean, to me, that seems like a, um, the easiest and most helpful, but, or most common, it's just like the letting go, right? You let go. Um, I've heard, uh, uh, some people say it's like, you know, kind of like jumping off a cliff. You think you'll fall down, but then you fall up or, um, you know, or even I, I love how Sam was talking about like grace, right? It, it is, and it is something that you don't do. It's like, it's, it's somehow, you know, you stop doing and then it just happens, right? There, there's something like that, but it is, it's very much not like you did it. You know, there, I don't know. It's, it's uh, subtle and hard to, 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 to say, but yeah. Thanks, Gilbert. I'll, I'll keep doing it. I'll keep that. Sitting in this state, at least. I know uh, Jan has had his hand up for a long time, and Rodrigo after that. Um, yeah. Um, well, maybe Rodrigo, if Rodrigo has something to say about the previous. Um, subject then he can go first no, um, go ahead. all right um so my question is a bit related to this um and it's also more directed to sam maybe and maybe gilbert knows it as well um well my practice is going really well um again um uh my question isn't really about my practice but at the moment it has been um more stage nine uh kind of practice um, but I listened to a podcast of Kuladasa about, um, um, meditation and insights, uh, like fruitions. And, um, like a while ago I talked about the retreat I had with Tucker and where I reached stage 10 and then, um, well, re had a fruition, which was like it, that description of Kuladasa just perfectly matches, um, what happened there. Um, the only question that I had, because I'm a bit confused about maps and uh, that kind of stuff, um, because um, um, 
in, in the book, Kuladasa talks about like insights and the insight in ourself, um, which uh, seemed to have happened before that. And then I had like uh, at retreat to fruition. Um, and I thought that fruition at the retreat was maybe the second path. But um, after that retreat, um, it, it, it seems like at certain areas, uh, aversion and desire have diminished, but in certain other areas, not. Um, and so I don't really think it's like um, that was second path. But um, like, what's the deal with like um, first path? Is that how, how does uh, Kuladasa see that? Is it like after you have that insight in no self or is it after a fruition experience? I'm a bit confused about that. Do you know anything about that? So I'll, I'll say something um, that uh, Chulurasa defines second path is with the diminishment of um, the, you know, of craving and aversion. And, you know, I know, uh, you know, Daniel Ingram defines this as like a second cycle of insight. But mm -hmm. from what I've seen, like other people on the, like that, that's not a helpful distinction at all. It's just not. I, because there's, is, there's, there's no clear, um, you know, you don't know if like, oh yeah, was that the second cycle or no? Because it's so easy to, to, to think, oh yeah, that was, and it was just like this mini and, and it, it didn't have that effect. Um, to, in my experience, I mean, I think uh, the better marker of second path is basically um, you really have an insight into craving and aversion. Like you can see it you actually see in some sense, like really upfront and, and personal, what, what's that thing that was, that's always going on or what, yeah, it's always going on. And you're like, Oh, wow. Like that's, um, I don't really want to do that. You have to have some of that, like, you know, in real time, I think, um, not only see craving in real time, but also have some sense how to get, how to like, um, you're also able to, uh, kind of let go of a craving in a sense like you, you know how to set the causes and conditions to let go of a craving um so like it it can uh extinguish because if, if you know how to do that i mean to me that it's, it's natural like oh yeah you, then you just keep on doing that um whenever it arises for any different little craving for sense pleasure cra craving for something out in the world and you know it's a lot of work there a lot of conditioning to go through that you know you first work through that, then you can actually get to third path, which is like, okay, yeah, you've overcome it. And that seems like, you know, from my experience that that all matches up um, with the whole process and experience. Meanwhile, like, I, I don't know, Daniel Ingram is kind of some of the things uh, that definitely that second path that's focusing on, like, was it a second cycle? Like I just see so people, so many people, so much confusion, so many different definitions, so much, um, yeah, but more important, I think, is like, okay, yeah, you've had a noticeably, um, you know, market reduction in, in craving. And that, that is second path, and that is different from first path. Because from first path, you don't, you don't have um, the awareness, really, of craving. Yes, you've, you know, you've gotten rid of some, like, some, some gross levels of suffering that are tied up to, you know, personality belief. But you know, you haven't had that same insight and you can still have lots of craving and not realize that, oh my God, you're, you know, 
all this craving and stuff that you're you're searching after this all the or aversion and stuff like you you're making it worse for yourself um but so that doesn't you know that doesn't happen necessarily at first but most of the time it really doesn't i know chilad also talks about that sometimes people can jump in a sense to like a second path um or even potentially even higher paths um so so yeah and that's that also points again to why necessarily that that first you know trying to trying to judge cycles you know like, like it's just not helpful so those are my thoughts um i don't know what what sam has um yeah i'd agree with gilbert on most of uh, pretty much all that um so i think it's less useful after stream entry to try to map where you are um because it, it's kind of silly um, to begin with. Um, so I only recently uh, could maybe place myself second path, and that's after a year of having the initial insight and seeing uh, how it played out over a lot of different situations and stressors in life. So I wouldn't worry about um, any kind of mapping. Um, Really what, what characterized um, getting from stream entry to second path for me was that craving just started sticking out, obviously. Um, and, you know, un, you know, I didn't even have to do anything. That's like the only thing I noticed. And then see, that was clearly the focus of my practice, um, was noticing all the ways in which I craved uh, even the slightest things uh, and noticing that on a more and more subtle my new level. So if, uh, that's the direction to head. Um, and eventually, um, so uh, the second path insight for me was uh, seeing dependent origination very clearly, uh, seeing the mind moments um, after an object of craving. So um, that's, I think, where you want to be headed. Um, the fruitions are good. If you get the repeats, um, it's, those can, be, those can uh, be really good because you can see the cause of conditions that cause uh, the mind to go into fruition. And you can see how craving is involved in that process. And so after stream entry, I had a lot, you know, I'm lucky to have had a lot of the repeat fruitions. So I was able to see it again and again. And I noticed a clear process with craving. Um, and how the craving for an object, a sense object, would drop in the fruition. Um, so that's the kind of thing that you want to look for. And uh, some people don't get a lot of the fruition, the repeat fruitions, and that's totally fine. Um, uh, yeah, because um, my practice. Um, at the retreat was exactly this because I had a lot of pain. So I, it was more aversion instead of craving, but it's basically the same. So, um, um, so I clearly saw how it impacted my space of awareness. And if I let go of it, uh, it became like my space of awareness became very spacious, big, and that eventually led to the fruition for me. Um, and now I've been doing basically the same practice again and again, where I try to to um, keep in mind, keep this in mind. 
Um, but at home, it's um, now it has been mostly like where I get into this like big spacious uh, uh, awareness. Um, but no repeated fruitions have happened uh, yet. But so, are you doing the meditation in the mind practice? Yeah, I know. I know that I've been doing uh, sometimes. I I have been doing a lot of like choiceless attention uh, practice. Uh, I would try meditation on the mind because that can uh, can be good. Um, there's a certain insight that you get from that practice that is kind of like the stream entry insight in a way, but it helps you to see it from a different perspective, um, and it doesn't require uh, fruition or things like that. Basically, you're looking for you're you're looking to see directly that everything is mind. Um, nothing is in the mind. Everything is the mind doing a process. Um, so, it, it, if that seems to drive for you, if that practice, uh, like you describe the spaciousness, which is uh, kind of that's that's what you get into with stage nine because there's the very high conscious bandwidth and then there's also the, the clarity and the stability so um yeah, and meditation and uh you can probably do the jhanas uh so those can be good to see craving uh, also yeah um but with meditation on the mind like um that's mostly like focusing on your attention is then focused on the awareness kind of like it's it's like your attention is your awareness so you, tr you not try to like zoom in in something in your awareness but more like everything right that is that it? uh yeah so the thing that i notice the most when i do that is that uh, when you try to keep this big space of attention and awareness and the distinction sort of falls away, but uh, every now and then a sense object will come and you'll notice a process with craving that shrinks that space of awareness and tries to, uh, tries to take that object and make it something separate when very clearly before everything happening was uh, a process, an interconnected process. And you'll see that with, it, with an object of craving, the mind will isolate it and create a self and an other out of that. And you see it very clearly during the meditation on the mind. So that can be uh, really helpful. Um, but you know, past, like, if you're getting into the adept stages, like, uh, you kind of have this, you, you, you'll discover that you have some kind of intuition for what needs to be done and uh, you don't necessarily need to follow the instructions as the book has they, that they laid out um, because you're, if you're in stage one, uh, it's a very powerful uh, state to be in. Um, so I would just go where your mind is uh, sort of inclining towards if you will. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds uh, all good. Thanks.
In one Q&A, I think Chiladasa says that one, one mark of second path is when you start actually going after your cravings and you, you start... Can you hear me okay? Because my connection is iffy. Yeah. Okay. So you start going after your cravings because you start realizing that they are what what is holding you back. So uh, it seems that first path is something like you take you take a step back, and you can you can not be I don't know not be thrown around so much. But with second path, you start walking towards the difficulties and towards the craving and towards the aversion. And I imagine eventually to the point where you, you can overcome them. And another thing regarding the, the cycles of insight, uh, I think that, and even uh, Daniel Ingram says something about that, that in the first path, it's, the, the cycle seems to be more straightforward. So after, after second path, things start becoming more fractal, I think he says. So it's hard to, to say, oh, this is that, I don't know, that jnana uh, from sec the second cycle, second cycle. And I think that maybe it stops being so useful and as Sen said, it, 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 you might get some better sense of what you should be doing um, by yourself than just by following the instructions because you know better. And not only that, because you can notice and you can perceive uh, whatever is happening in your mind and you can see, oh, this direction seems to be fruitful. So, yeah. Uh, I have actually a, a, a question for you guys, and my practicing is going going well. Uh, I'm still on stage five, and I have been having some difficulty with difficulties with distractions, but it's going forward. But one thing that I have noticed is for the last two weeks, uh, approximately, I have. I don't know, I, I think it was during a session that I had had something like a, a release uh, in my chest. And I, I noticed that I have become much more emotional. And not during the, the sessions per se, but uh, in daily life, for example, uh, crying during Grim of Thorns and it's been it's been interesting. Uh, I'm okay with it, but I've noticed that it, it is happening just on daily life and just spontaneously. I, I watch something, I see I see a, a dog on the street or whatever, and I get emotional. But doing the seats, nothing is happening. Uh, I mean, I don't get verifications. I don't get. Uh, Meditative, meditative joy or, or pity or anything like that. And I don't know if I should just go with it or if I just, or if I should try to integrate it into my sessions and try to use that opportunity to develop something. I don't know. Uh, I wanted to hear your thoughts. 
so um I mean, definitely what you did was was awesome and good. Like, I mean, the whole the release, I mean, it's clear um, to me that says uh, something. What you're doing is working because, um, you know, as we go through this, this, this practice, this path, um, we do sort of, you know, slowly and or we, we start dropping some of our armor, some of the ways that we've been disconnected or just deadened, I think maybe deadened is a good way to put it. Um, and when you start dropping some of that armor, um, particularly as you first, you know, are adjusting to the new reality, I mean, things are like tender in a sense, right? Um, and, but yeah, but you are, you're like, you're, you're closer to, to life and experience. Um, yeah, and, and so, and in particular, and one thing I'll say about Game of Thrones, that's a very intense show. I, I don't, I don't even, I'm not, uh, I haven't even watched the new season just yet because it is so intense. And, um, you know, I, 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 I see my dad, he loves that show. Talk, he was talking telling me about like the last episode. And I'm like, oh my God, that sounds like so stressful. I'm like, <laughs> super intense. But anyway, that's kind of a little bit of a sidebar, but. Um, yeah, but yeah. Actually, it's actually interesting because uh, uh, during the, I don't, I think the, the second episode, I, I, I both, I got emotional both uh, of happiness and of sadness, mm -hmm. and uh, that particular episode was was something that that triggered that that realization on me that oh something is happening here because I I usually don't don't react like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you get you you do get closer to experience. I'm right reminded right now of um, it was a, a a scientific experiment that I, I heard about where they were um, testing monks. Right, people have been meditating for you know thousands of uh, hours, and you know they had them hooked up to some type of brain scan thing, and they were noticing that quickly like they they quickly reacted and like there was a very very quick um sort of in some sense reaction to that uh to the stimuli it was like some type of like painful shock or heat or cold um and but then quickly then it, it dropped right and so like they were feeling what was going on but then as soon as the, the stimulus, stimulus was was gone they were quickly back to baseline Meanwhile, you have the ordinary person, you know, they're aware, like, you know, the first shock that getting, until getting to the first shock, they're not worried too much. But then after the first shock or whatever, they're like, oh my God, like kind of thinking about it. And they're, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of elevated, escalated until they actually get the, the shock. So anyway, there's just kind of more uh, sort of reactivity going on. Um, and all just because kind of they're, perseverating over the thoughts or and not necessarily at the higher level, but maybe lower level. Um, but, but yeah, to me, my, my takeaway is like, you do get closer to experience. Um, and so you feel things more. And then the, the, what also drops, of course, is your internal kind of reactivity to it. So um, experiences that were like painful, like, oh my God, it was like, I was, I was too painful, tender hearted. And that was like bad or, uh, I got too vulnerable or, you know, just that starts dropping away or, you know, maybe just the ways that we make experience worse also drop away. So, so it's like, it, it ends up being like this, um, I don't know, just, yeah, more beneficial thing. I will say that 
um, I, I know, I noticed myself that like, I'm just like, uh, in some sense more, I wouldn't necessarily use the word emotional because again, emotional kind of just has all these negative connotations that don't, and most people who are emotional, like it's not, um, uh, it, it doesn't, it doesn't describe what's going on. Um, but it's more, you're just, you're just more awake. Um, yeah. Yeah, I understand. I can relate. Uh, two things that come to mind is, uh, first is uh, another of Ken Wilber's quote that he says, it hurts you more, but it bothers you less. Yeah. And because you're, you're more open, but at the same time, you don't, you don't cling to it uh, so much. And the second one is the, the related to that is the reactivity. And I've noticed that, for example, I cry over a, a dog on the street the other day, and it hurt me profoundly. But at the same time, after I, I stopped crying, okay, it's gone. Uh, I, I have some other thing to do. And it, it didn't, it wasn't something that, that created some tension. It's, it was more, as you said, tenderness. I don't know, something more, mm -hmm. more directly experienced and not something that I, I don't know, I got into thinking about it and compulsive uh, crying or anything like that. But yeah, makes sense. Thank you. Do you also have a feeling in your heart? Um, more like a yeah, pity kind of feeling or is that not the case? Uh, a little, but not very much. I, I, I think I know what, what you're referring to. But I have had something like that, but many, many years ago. And uh, nowadays, I, actually for the last decade, I, I was depressed until a, a couple of years ago. So it's, as Gilbert was saying, it's like um, I'm regaining that, that aspect. And I can sense some of that, but not too much. It's not, it's not evident. Right. Yeah, because uh, it could also be an opening of the heart. Uh, which I also uh, had, um, and then it's a bit similar to yeah, like purifications uh, kind of stuff. Yeah. All right, I gotta go. See everyone. Um, thanks again. Take care, Gil. Uh, take care. Yeah, and what does uh, opening the heart mean to you when you said you were in that process of opening the heart? Um, well, for me, it was like a, a, a constant feeling in my heart. Um, I didn't experience like a lot of random emotions, but it was more like um, a kind of like burning sensation in the heart, uh, which is still there sometimes but not as negative um, as it used to be. Well, um, and uh, with that, I, I sometimes woke up in the middle of the night with that sensation and uh, 
couldn't fall back to sleep and had to like do yoga or meditation to like calm it down. Um, uh, which, yeah, that was what was going on. That's more that the physical sensations you mean of that. It's not necessarily the emotional part of it or was that, was it not connected to anything emotional? No, no, not really. It was more like really physical, like um, an energy uh, blockage or uh, something like that. Was it negative in the Donna thing? Um, uh, partly, um, it was weird. So like, uh, sometimes it, it felt a bit nagging and not very positive, but in a sense it was also positive because it like, um, it strengthens, uh, pity sensations and whether I could like easily enter pleasure jhanas and, um, so a bit of both but in the beginning it was like what's going on like <laughs> it was just constantly there One thing I've been thinking about lately is equanimity and what that means. And I, when I first was trying to figure that out, I had no idea really how to define that. Um, I think I'm still working on it, but um, one thing I kind of come to a lot is the that old that I think it was from I forgot who wrote it, but the it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. It just feels like at the same time things are better than they have ever been, but they're also I guess it's Charles Dickens probably, right? Uh, yeah, like everything's so great, but also noticing all the, being open to all the suffering in the world. Everything's as bad as it's ever been, but it's also as great as it's ever been. So I don't know if that's equanimity or just some kind of saying stuck in my head lately, but I, I, I've been thinking about that a lot. Yeah, I think that that quote I mentioned from Ken Wilber or tomorrow about the last is from a video where he is he's answering a question about how how can you bring together the absolute and the relative when on the absolute side side everything is is great everything is fine uh, uh, there is a Brazilian Lama that says something like uh, the Buddha created uh, an illusion body to help illusion people with illusion suffering. And uh, on the absolute side, everything is fine. But on the relative side, everything is a mess and we have so much to do and there's so much suffering. And to bring together those two things, uh, I think it's part of the path. And I don't know, and he himself says something like that, that uh, he doesn't think it's you're supposed to solve that. You're supposed to to be able to to hold that 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 tension, that tension. And I think uh, you're probably right. That I think that that is equanimity, the the capacity to to at the same time be with the suffering and not be overwhelmed by it and not running away from it at the same time. 
So, yeah. I think this will be the moment where Ted says that we're all just looking each other in the face. And well, I've enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Yes. Thank you all. Time to go grocery shop. Yes, thanks. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Bye, everyone. Bye.